And welcome to Overkids, presented by Bad News Media. It is the college football recap show. Week nine is in the books. And it was a little bit of a difficult week, batting-wise. We moved to 29 and 21 on the season in college football. You know, lost the Kentucky and Oregon State bets. Talk a little bit about those here in a moment. And the under in the Georgia-Florida game. But <clears throat> the picture is getting all more clear in college football, I think, folks. You know, I think we're learning a lot about each and every one of what these teams has to offer. Um, I think the the picture for the the college football playoff and really the top 10 um, and the teams that are really separating themselves has moved forward. Um, so we'll talk about all of that. And I think that's a good place to start. And just my top 10 heading into this week, uh, week 10 of college football is as follows, you know, Georgia, Michigan, they stay at one and two. We'll talk about the Michigan updates here and the kind of the ongoing saga um, of a cheating scandal at Michigan. But I think Michigan and Georgia are the clear cut one and two favorite teams in the country right now. You can make arguments around which one should be number one. I think they're relatively interchangeable. I, I do give the slight edge though to Georgia. I think Carson Beck's um, has solidified himself as, as a pretty solid option at quarterback. He's playing some really good football and you can kind of trust him back there. You know, statistically, he's already proven to be better than Stetson Bennett. And we know what Stetson Bennett was able to achieve while at Georgia. The key is always going to be, you know, making sure they minimize any kind of turnover worthy throws, uh, making sure they, they kind of keep turnovers on the down low. But I think this Georgia offense is really starting to hum. Um, and we saw that again against Florida without Brock Bowers. Um, now you could question how well that Florida defense actually is. Um, but I, I do think kind of the eye test proves that, you know, Georgia is is the number one team in the country right now at this point in time. They are on a clash course for, you know, probably seeing Alabama in the SEC championship. We'll see how that season wraps up. But I think I think I'm pretty confident in saying I see Alabama and Georgia as the two teams that are going to face off this year. Um, and then we look at Michigan as the number two team in the country right now. I think obviously they're getting great production out of their players. This is a really cohesive football team. Um, and I think they solidify themselves as the number two team in the country. I know people are going to say they haven't played anybody, but you just watch the teams that they have played against and they do everything right. Um, they're, they're not missing a beat right now, in my opinion. So they stay at two Florida state moves into the three spot. And folks, I got to tell you, this Florida state team is really impressive. What Mike Norvell has done down in Florida state should be applauded. I think that he is showing why he was one of the more coveted coaching prospects when they went out and they hired him. He had a rough start at Florida State. A lot of things out of his control, mainly, you know, coming into a situation where the cover was a little bare and you get hit with COVID um, and the COVID restrictions and not really being able to get the kind of the grassroots efforts going in Florida and recruiting that state, being new to the state. Um, but everything is sort of coming together. The coaching job has been fantastic. We talked about what has been done with Travis at the quarterback position down there. This is a guy that was considering quitting playing quarterback because he just did not have the ability to really push the ball down the field uh, and play the position effectively. And now he is one of the top tier quarterbacks in college football this season. Mike Norvell went out and used the portal really well in upping and kind of plugging some holes on the roster Went and upgraded the tight end position. That tight end room, I think is, is really solid. And we're starting to see that. Sorry about that folks. My internet went out. So as I was saying though, Mike Norvell did a great job of, of plugging the holes, going out in the transport transfer portal up 
upgrading some positions. I think he did a good job uh, in developing and, and recruiting that tight end room. Um, and they've added the pass catchers have, have stepped up. You know, obviously Coleman is one of the best pass catchers in college football right now. Um, we're seeing defenses sort of roll out their coverage to him and other guys are stepping up. So I think Florida, you know, very securely in the three spot. Washington is at the four spot. Is Washington the best team in the Pac-12? No. I think Oregon's the best team in the Pac-12. Are they even the best team out of Texas and Oregon? No, I don't think so. But I, I've got, you know, head-to-head has to matter. Washington did get the head-to-head win against Oregon. Um, they're staying at the four spot. I think the offense is extremely proficient. We all know that. There are some flaws in the defense. I am so happy, though, that we can stop having people compare this team to the 2019 LSU Tigers. They never were and never going to be the 2019 LSU Tigers. It was a dumb comparison to begin with. That LSU Tigers team is arguably the greatest college football team we've ever seen. They're in that conversation. Um and this team just this wasn't that. Now, still a very good football team. Going to have an opportunity to, to play their way into the college football playoffs because if they win out, obviously they're in. They're going to rematch Oregon, I think, in the conference championship for the Pac-12. Oregon is arguably the best one-loss te- one team in the nation. I think there's a strong argument for Texas. The last couple of weeks, I've been saying Texas is the best one-loss team in the country. With viewers down, you know, the situation is a little bit shakier right now, but Malik Murphy showed very capable quarterback, you know, had a great spring game. Steve Sarkeesian is one of the best play callers in the nation. He tailors his offense to his quarterback strengths really well, I think, and complements them well. So I have no issues. Um, they've got a really tough game against Kansas State this week where they're going to be really, really tested. I'm, I'm looking forward to breaking that one down later in the week. Um, but Oregon and, and Texas sit at five and six for me. Ohio State is at the seventh spot. I don't think Ohio State's beating Michigan. I think that this Ohio State defense is elite and one of the top units in the nation, but the offense is subpar. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a cheat code right now for them. The offense is pretty much screw it. He's down there somewhere. Um, I did like to see the run game get a little bit going um, against Wisconsin. I think the key for this offense, though, and I said it last week and I'll say it again, is they got to get Cade Stover more and more involved. The more you get Cade Stover involved in the passing game, the more efficient they're going to be. I think he could be a real kind of safety net here um, for this Ohio State offense. But at the end of the day, the quarterback play is questionable. We talked about it and their ability to really move the, the ball down the field. But as soon as you get to the red zone, the field shortens. There's not an ability to fit the ball in those tight windows. We saw it in that Wisconsin game a little bit there with the pick at the end. I just I feel like McCord doesn't have that in him uh, to go out and, and be a college football playoff team and, and compete for a national championship this year. Jim Joles has done a phenomenal job on the defense side of the ball, was a great hire when they hired him. We kind of stood on the table and said this is one of the best hires in college football. Um, and he's done exactly what we thought he was going to do with that defense, but offensively they are limited, and that's why they're sitting at the seventh spot. Alabama moves into the eighth spot. Uh, Penn State, nine. Oklahoma slides all the way down to the 10 spot. That is my top 10 for college football right now. I don't think anybody's really pushing in right now. Notre Dame, man, really kicking themselves for that Ohio State game and the Louisville game because they're the best two-loss team in the country. Not ranking them in my top 10, though. Um, but man, they're arguably the best two loss team in the country right now. It's really a shame 
they didn't go out and get a seasoned offensive coordinator this this offseason. Really fumbled that, I think. But Marcus Freeman, you got to be really happy with him um, at Notre Dame. His ability to recruit, he understands the college landscape in 2023 moving forward. Uh, the defense is a top-tier unit. It's just they have that unfortunate loss to Ohio State because they can't count to 11. Um, they dropped the interception, and they weren't really – efficient enough on offense and that's obviously going to be their Achilles heel um and and the way they've structured that offensive scheme and that is unfortunate but that is why they're not in the top 10 as of right now um all right let's talk a little college football storylines I think the big one obviously Michigan cheating scandal we've gotten some new updates the internet wants to claim that Ryan Day's brother is sort of the lead outside investigator on this one we'll see if that actually gets verified and becomes true but the, the story that I think is grabbing everybody's attention and people are running with is this Michigan, you know, pausing Jim Hardball's contract negotiations. I don't think there's a lot here um, to this. I think that uh, at the end of the day, this is just a really smart PR move for them. You know, they're not going to grant him a contract extension in the middle of a scandal. Like the, the think pieces and all the, the things would be like, you're rewarding cheating and all this nonsense. Like, Clearly, they're going to put a pause on it. I don't think at the end of the day, this derails him. I don't think at the end of the day that if he wants to be at Michigan, he's not going to be at Michigan after this. I, I really think that at the end of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, if he chooses to be the head coach of Michigan, he's going to be there for a very long time. Now, there's obviously conversations about him maybe moving to the NFL. I think that becomes a real possibility if they win the national championship this year. Could be kind of a walking off in the sunset I fulfilled my duty as the prodigal son of Michigan, getting them back to the promised land and winning a national championship. But I think the fact that they were in these long-term uh, contract extensions sort of shows that he wants to be in college football, that he wants to be at Michigan. And I think ultimately he will be at Michigan. It's just waiting for the storm to pass a little bit here. Michigan making the smart PR move and, and not offering this extension right now, because the amount of pieces that would be written, like I said, about, you know, rewarding cheating and this culture of cheating and all this other nonsense think pieces, I think would be happening. Um, I think there's a, a, a real punishment down the line here. Eventually, I don't think you should necessarily reward the cheating. It is cheating at the end of the day. Now, does it move the needle a ton for me? No. I think in the grand scheme of cheating scandals, it's pretty low level. Um, but it's a wildly fascinating story. It's wildly entertaining. But at the end of the day, Harbaugh is going to be there. I know some people question also, you know, him looking at the roster and be like, maybe this is a good time to get out this year. Michigan's not afraid to use the transfer portal. Um, they're, you know, there's going to be an exodus of talent to the draft this year and just graduating from this Michigan squad, but they're going to plug the holes where they need to in the transfer portal. They've got good recruiting classes coming in. I think hardball's there for a long time, and I think they continue to be one of the premier programs in the country. I think that leads to a very good conversation about a program that's fallen off and a program that's really struggling. And I think let's start kind of with the Deion Sanders aspect of that, you know, Pat Narduzzi at Pitt caught a lot of flack for his post-game press conference, which I think he was deservedly so. But Dion comes out and has a very similar press conference and isn't catching nearly as much flack for it. Um, he came out talking about the O-line and the O-line struggles and essentially said they stink. I mean, he said, the big picture, you get new linemen, that's the picture, I'm going to paint it perfectly. I don't know necessarily about that message at this point in the season. You still got four games going. You know, that's something you you typically hear in the off season. But I think this is a reflection of a couple things that are sort of 
not necessarily going to say sour at Colorado, but troublesome. You know, I would have much preferred to hear something along the lines of like, hey, you know, it isn't good enough. We got to coach this unit up. We got to change some things offensively. Like, how about maybe running some more heavy personnel sets or maybe having a guy there chip every once in a while to try to to help the offensive line issues. Offensive line is always going to be a, a a problem spot in college football. We've sort of seen the decline in production in offensive line. The way that Colorado has sort of set this up, I don't know if they're in a great position to solve this issue because it is incredibly hard to get good offensive line talent in the portal. And even the guys that are good in the portal, you are competing with the premier colleges, the Georgias, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, that have a really good track record of not only acquiring offensive line talent, but developing it and sending it to the NFL. <clears throat> and you don't have that at Colorado. You don't have the deep pockets that they have. You have yet to show the ability to really develop offensive line talent. You know, offensive line talent is generally speaking identified at the college level, brought in the door, and then developed in your facilities. That's how offensive lines are, are typically developed. You know, the portal is more designed for kind of finding a couple pieces here and there and, and filling holes. I don't think you're going to revamp the entire offensive line here. And we haven't seen really headway made in the high school ranks and, and, and getting recruits in the door that way from an offensive line standpoint. And you've got Dion also, you know, talking a lot about how the luggage he was bringing to Colorado was Louis Vuitton and, you know, all this great talent they were bringing in. There might be an argument that some of the offensive line talent that was at Colorado before you kind of ran them off was as good, if not slightly better than what you have right now. Um, and I, I do think there's, you know, questions to be asked about the coaching here. You know, you're not talking about, you know, coaching these guys up and, and changing some things to try to ease the offensive line adjustment. You know, you're just wholesale being like, yeah, these guys stink. We got to get new players in the door. And I think the concern then becomes, are they going to quit with four games left? Because you got some really tough opponents coming down. <clears throat> and this was something we talked about. It was, I was really interested to see how Colorado handled failure this year because, at the end of the day, I thought they were a four to five win program this year for this exact reason. You know, they had some nice, really nice pieces in Shador Sanders and Shiloh Sanders and Travis Hunter and some other kind of skill guys, but they really lacked the meat and potatoes per se of a football team. And that was going to come back and haunt them. And this defense is really, really struggling. Um, and so, you know, there there's a question about the coaching effort here and the way that they're building this thing, you know, Dion, like a lot of people kind of in the coaching ranks of college football seems to sort of want the quick, quick solution. And unfortunately the problems he has doesn't really have a quick solution um, because offensive line, like I said, is a skill group. You, you typically have to identify at the high school level, bring in the door and then develop. And they don't have the NIL collectives to compete with the Michigans, the Georgias, the Texases, the Alabamas of the world to go and acquire the the handful of offensive line talent that's going to be in the portal. So I don't know how this gets solved. I don't think it's going to be an easy fix. It's going to take a really big coaching effort here. And this is where we're going to test, you know, what kind of coach uh, and program is Dion building. Um, and, and we'll see that further. Speaking of program buildings, Clemson, whoof. Things are sour there, and there's no better downfall than the Davo-Clemson downfall. It is so, so sweet. Oh, my goodness. Love it. Um, 
a couple things have gone really wrong with Clemson, I think, in my opinion. You know, obviously, ever since he came out and was like, we're building this thing with God's name, image, and likeness, things have gone pretty sour for them. But, you know, obviously the inability to acquire talent in the transfer portal, really the refusal to use the transfer portal. The transfer portal is there to help plug holes and to add depth. And Clemson isn't using it, and their depth issues are showing. You know, really elite teams that compete for championships and that compete at the highest levels are able to sustain a couple injuries here and there and continue to move on. Look at Georgia, for instance. Now, granted, they haven't had the toughest of tests yet, but you lose Brock Bowers for the rest of the regular season. There are other pieces around him that can supplement that loss. You know, you can lose a couple guys here and there and continue to progress and to continue to, to fight for that national championship. Clemson just doesn't have that because they refuse to build depth through the transfer portal. You know, they are having a harder time recruiting in their own backyard because Kirby smart has come into Georgia and he is locking down the state of Georgia. You know, Clemson used to really be able to go into the state of Georgia and kind of raid athletes. They can't do that as easily. Now you don't have the generational talents and superstars at quarterback, the Deshaun Watson's, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Tajay Boyd's, you don't have the wide receiver talent that you used to have. You know, things are just, there has to be some philosophy changes and some adaptations to the new college landscape. Otherwise you're going to get left behind. And that's exactly what's happening in Clemson right now. Clemson is being left behind because Dabo is too stubborn to change a little bit and to modify some things. And that is a real problem for him. So it's not going to get any better. You know, they're not going to be, I don't know, six and six football team every year, but the days of them competing for national championships are long gone unless there is some, some real major changes from a philosophy standpoint and how you run that football program. And I just, I don't think they're going to come from Dabo at the end of the day. Um, what other stories do we have out there that we, we should probably talk about on this college football recap show? Um, I was trying to think here. You know, we look we look ahead, got some great slate of games this week. Very excited to kind of talk about them. Um, oh, USC. Uh, if you're a USC fan or booster, you are on Dave Miranda's fired a Baylor alert. Like you have to be praying to the football gods that somehow Baylor goes ahead and cans Dave Miranda or Miranda's and you fire Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch is the greatest job in the world. I want to come back as Alex Grinch and get paid to do absolutely nothing in cash paychecks because this is a very unserious football team right now. And Lincoln Riley deserves some of the blame here too because we're seeing the offensive struggles a little bit. Now they're still putting up ungodly numbers, but you've seen when they played a defense with a pulse, Caleb Williams has developed some really unfortunate, you know, quarterback behaviors um, and tendencies. And it's gotten a lot of, it's really sloppy and there's not, we're not playing inside of an offensive structure. And that really shows. And that's on Lincoln Riley to kind of reel some of this back in um, and get to play more within structure. And I, <clears throat> I do worry about that. Um, I think Kansas Lance Leipold got to give him a shout out and the incredible job him and his staff have done. I mean, what they did to put Bean in positions to succeed at quarterback should be applauded. That team, you know, Oklahoma had its flaws for sure. But, and you can kind of run against this team. It's why we bet them um, this past week and they ended up winning outright. 
you could run on this Oklahoma team, but the position they put Bean in, I thought, to succeed was really phenomenal. And they never lost the fight. They always felt like they were in that game, even though some of the, you know, missing some throws and, and missing some key opportunities, they continued to be in the fight. And I just, I thought it was a phenomenal job that they did um, at Kansas. Same thing with Louisville and Jeff Brom. I've loved Jeff Brom for a long time. If you're a longtime listener, you know, uh, he, we tracks very well when he was at Purdue. Louisville upgraded with Satterfield leaving. That was a major upgrade for Louisville. Jeff Brom and his offensive staff came in and put together a very good game plan. This is a this is a really good football program for what you're getting out of Louisville. Um, and I, that's really cool to see, and I, I very much liked it. So great success there. Um, I think that's all I've, I've really got for this show. Uh, just a quick recap, some quick thoughts. You know, we unfortunately lost the Kentucky game there. That That hurt. Um, that really hurt the way they lost that game. Some real piss poor decision making, I thought, by Stoops. Um, late in that game, they had the opportunities and they just failed to convert. But you know, it was nice to see the passing game be a little bit more efficient to come out of the bye and play with a little bit more pace. You know, Leary looked a little bit more comfortable in that offense. We'll see. And then Oregon State, that was a tough one. That was obviously the one that we were most nervous about um, because Arizona is a really good football team and and what they do down there is is really impressive. Um, His poor decision. That was a Scott Frost decision there at the end of the half for Oregon State to run a fake with the holder that far out. I, I just, I don't, the lack of brain power on that one is just incredible. I, I don't understand it. I don't even understand. Like the person who came up with that idea, they need to go put a dunce hat on and, and stare at the wall for a little bit. Like that was so stupid. Um, But that was that. We'll be back next at the end of the week. As always, Friday show, talk about college football slate, give out some bets. Hopefully continue our winning ways. And as always, peace.